Okay, so uh, this idea to continue on this in the same vein as uh, Long Pa taking that uh, Samaditi Sutta, Majjhima Nikaya 9, and each uh, demarcation that uh, Venerable Sariputta is going through, kind of a dependent origination. And uh, Long Pa taught about bhava, or existence becoming, in the last talk and finding finding uh, teachings about that. And then the next one is clinging. And uh, I thought, oh yeah, four types of clinging, I'll, uh, I'll look that up. So uh, the idea was to go to clinging next, and I thought, oh, four, four types of clinging. That's the uh, clinging to sensuality, clinging to views, clinging to precepts and practices, clinging to a doctrine of self, I'll go to the Anguttara Nikaya, Book of the Fours, and then uh, in the index to the Anguttara Nikaya, there's nothing, there's no clinging in the index. So uh, everything else is there, but clinging is not in the index. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll look up different words for clinging, and I'll look up Upadana, and yeah, it was nowhere to be found in the index. So, uh, and I wasn't, didn't have time to read through the entire Book of the Fours to see if it was there. So I decided to shift gears and go to a different Sariputta Sutta, which is the last sutta in the Diganikaya. The last two suttas are both attributed to Sariputta in Diganikaya, the Sutta 33 and Sutta 34. Sutta 33 is the Sangiti Sutta, and it's just a list. It's like a chanting list of all sorts of sets of dhammas. And then 34 is also that. And uh, I think it's a very, very interesting sets of dhammas because it is attributed to Sariputta and he, he says, okay, we're going to go through all these sets of dhammas, like the whole of the dhamma. And then there's actually sets of dhammas in there I don't see anywhere I haven't seen anywhere else in the suttas. So it's a very interesting. I won't read the whole thing because it goes into, uh, there's 10 ways of seeing one, there's 10 ways of seeing a grouping of two, and it goes up to 10 ways of seeing a grouping of 10. So I uh, won't go through the whole sutta, but I'll read it for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then I'll go into Lumpur Cha and continue with being Dhamma after that. But this Dasa, Dasutara Sutta is the expanding decades attributed to Venerable Sariputta, and just to listen to all these sets of Dhammas, and I found just having these sets and being able to reflect on them as like a kind of a lightning round of Dhamma sets is uh, actually very helpful. Thus have I heard, once the Lord was staying at Kempa beside the Gagara Lotus Pond with a large company of some 500 monks. Then the Venerable Sariputta addressed the monks, friends, monks, friend, replied the monks. And the Venerable Sariputta said, in growing groups from one to ten, I'll teach Dhamma for the gaining of Nibbana, that you may make an end of suffering and be free from all the ties that bind. There is, friends, one thing that greatly helps, one thing to be developed, one thing to be thoroughly known, one thing to be abandoned, one thing that conduces to diminution, one thing that conduces to distinction, one thing hard to penetrate, one thing to be made to arise, one thing to be thoroughly learnt, and one thing to be realized. Which one thing greatly helps? Tirelessness in wholesome states, 
which one thing is to be developed? Mindfulness with regard to the body, accompanied by pleasure. Which one thing is to be thoroughly known? Contact as a condition of the corruptions and of grasping. Which one thing is to be abandoned? Ego conceit. Which one thing conduces to diminution, unwise attention, or I guess uh, conduces to uh, backsliding, unwise attention? Which one thing conduces to distinction, wise attention? Which one thing is hard to penetrate? Uninterrupted mental concentration. That's anantariko cheto samadhi. Which one thing is to be made to arise? Unshakable knowledge. Which one thing is to be thoroughly learnt? All beings are maintained by nutriment. Which one thing is to be realized? Unshakable deliverance of mind. That makes 10 things that are real and true, so and not otherwise, unerringly and perfectly realized by the Tathagata. Then it uses that same format with two things and three things and so on. Two things greatly help. Which two things greatly help? Mindfulness and clear comprehension. Which two things are to be developed? Calm and insight. Which two things are to be thoroughly known? Mind and body. Which two things are to be abandoned? Ignorance and craving for existence. Which two things conduce to deterioration? Roughness and evil friendship. Which two things conduce to distinction? Gentleness and good friendship. Which two things are hard to penetrate? That which is the root, the condition of the defilement of beings, and that which is the root, the condition of the purification of beings. Which two things are, are to be made to arise? Knowledge of the destruction of the defilements and of their non-recurrence. Which two things are to be thoroughly learned? Two elements, the conditioned and the unconditioned. Which two things are to be realized? Knowledge and liberation. That makes 20 things that are real and true, so and not otherwise, unerringly and perfectly realized by the Tathagata. Three things greatly help. Which three things greatly help? Association with good people, hearing the true Dhamma, practice of the Dhamma in its entirety, or practice of Dhamma according to Dhamma. Dhamma, new Dhamma, Patipada. Which three things are to be developed? Three kinds of concentration. Which three things are to be thoroughly known? Three kinds of concentration. With thinking and pondering, with pondering without thinking, and with neither. Three types of feeling, pleasant, painful, and neutral. Which three things conduce to diminution? Three unwholesome roots, greed, hatred, delusion. Which three things conduce to distinction? Three wholesome roots, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Which three things are hard to penetrate? Three elements making for deliverance. Deliverance from sensuality, that is, renunciation. Deliverance from material forms, that is, the immaterial. And whatever has become is compounded, is conditionally arisen. Deliverance from that is cessation, nirodha. Which three things are, be made, are to be made to arise? The three knowledges of past, future, and present. Which three things are to be thoroughly learned? Three elements, 
the element of sense-desire, the element of form, and the element of the formless. Which three things are to be realized? One, the three knowledges of one's past lives, of the decease and rebirth of beings, of the destruction of the corruptions. Which three things? That makes 30 things that are real and true, so and not otherwise, unerringly and perfectly realized by the Tathagata. Which four things greatly help? The four wheels, a favorable place of residence, association with good people, perfect development of one's character, past meritorious actions. Which four things are to be developed? The four foundations of mindfulness. Which four things are to be thoroughly known? The four nutriments. Which four things are to be abandoned? The four floods, that's the ogas, that's uh, the flood of sensuality, of becoming, of views, and of ignorance. Which four things conduce to diminution? The four yokes, sensuality, becoming, views, and ignorance. Which four things conduce to distinction? The four unyokings. Which four things are hard to penetrate? Four concentrations, conducing to decline, conducing to stasis, conducing to distinction, conducing to penetration. Which four things are to be made to arise? The four knowledges. Knowledge of Dhamma, of what is consonant with it. Knowledge of others' minds, conventional knowledge. Which four things are to be thoroughly learned? The four noble truths. Which four things are to be realized? the four fruits of the ascetic life. That's the fruits of stream entry, of the once-returner, the non-returner of our hauntship. That makes 40 things that are real and true, so and not otherwise, unerringly and perfectly realized by the Tathagata. So you could do a whole winter retreat just on those different lists. And now I'll continue with being Dharma, where uh, Lumpa left off. Seeing natural conditions arising and changing is called studying Dhamma. Having learned about this, you should then train in it. The person who still has cravings does not see. If you have anger and get upset with people, it's because you haven't penetrated the Dhamma. You're still fooled by things and have no freedom. Learning counteracts this. Then there will be an end to problems. There are problems only because there is the belief that there is me and mine. When you believe things in this way, when thoughts of me and mine arise, countless problems will come to you endlessly. Selfishness and all kinds of troubles appear. When a traveler arrives at a hotel, he negotiates a price for a room and informs the staff of how long he will be staying. But as he gets comfortable there, he may begin to feel like the hotel is his home and after a while he forgets about moving on. When the management tells him that he must give up the room, he refuses to leave. This is where I live. Why should I leave? There is some misunderstanding, and it leads to strife. When we start to identify with our bodies and minds and think of this life as ours, then we are similar to the traveler who doesn't want to leave the hotel. We have a wrong idea about this temporary stopping place, and we find ourselves always in struggle and conflict. Children of the same parents end up fighting. People in the same village cannot get along. Citizens of the same country are at odds with each other, all because of this attachment to what they think is a self 
and think belongs to a self. So the Buddha said to come back and look at the body. There is one Dhamma to study. There is nothing we should undo or change. We say, one who sees Sankara is purged of attachment and has happiness. Mind is Sankara, body is Sankara. Sankara is not us or ours. Thus, those who see Sankara are at peace. They see the mind and body not as self, but only as Sankara. If something arises into existence, it is just Sankara. There is no being or person, no one who is happy or suffering. It is only Sankara. It is purged of happiness or suffering. There is nobody who is affected. If you see Sankara like this, you see Dhamma. Nobody is any sort of entity, not a person, an individual, or a being. There is no one who is elated or miserable, no one who gets angry or attached, no one who dies. Things arise. Sankara are like that. Seeing Dhamma is like that. Whatever arises in the minds of, of yogis, they will know the Dhamma to that extent. If your view is like this, it is called merit. All merits come together here at the point of peace. If we try to adjust or change Dhamma because of a lack of clear vision, there will be suffering. Take the breath, for example. It is continuously flowing in and out without break. The body depends on it for life. It is nourishment. Like food, it enters the body and supports it. The air goes in and out so the Sankara can survive. In and not out, or out and not in, there is trouble. But having been born, we don't want to get old. We don't want to die. Being together, we don't wish to part. Having things, we don't want to lose them. But it can't turn out as we wish, because this is just the way things are. All dhammas arise from causes and conditions. When the causes and conditions exist, the result occurs accordingly. Who has created this? It is just the law of nature. When it breaks up, that is also nature. This law is called Dhamma. Formal teaching to explain this is simply a matter of skillful language and speech. It is not genuine Dhamma itself, but only the path to train people and point out the way to understand truth. Still, we think that we have Dhamma, we understand Dhamma, we are Dhamma. Well, if this were really the case, we would not have craving, anger, or delusion. If we did know, see, and embody Dhamma, we wouldn't have these things. So we are the slaves of the afflictions without any surcease. If we really see, these things, are ju these things just evaporate from us. The profound Dhamma is like this. That is one matter. Then there is the Dhamma of practicing a code of conduct, people living together with restraint and consideration. This too is Dhamma, living together without quarrel or strife, it is called sila dhamma, or the way of virtuous behavior. It is the dhamma that the populace at large needs to practice for happiness. But this happiness is just attained at the beginning of suffering. This happiness is just attained as the beginning of suffering. It's a little better than people who have no knowledge or morality. But still, we make this happiness, and keeping it leads to suffering. This alone does not get us beyond, but it is still better than not having it. Making the causes and conditions for going beyond is another matter. So when you listen to Dhamma, don't think that that's all there is to do. Take it to heart and practice. 
make it the cause and condition for attainment of Nibbana, the deathless, the cessation of suffering, and true peace. We who are Buddhists need to study this, learn it little by little, and put it into practice through meditation. Even if desire, negativity, and foolishness are in our hearts, let us know them. When they arise, we know them and we know Dhamma. Know that they are our enemies. Oh, when will they be removed? Remove them step by step through consistent practice, not through consistent sleep. Practice sila and Dhamma. There will still be some grasping attack. There will still be some grasping attachment remaining, but you will know you have it. Even if you are suffering, don't let it get too great, but have a boundary and be aware of it. When you're tending cows and buffaloes, they may get into the field, so you have to control them. They may eat some grain, but don't let them eat a lot. They will only eat a little because you are on the job. If you sleep through the day, they will probably polish off your crop, so you can't be heedless. Our aim in coming to study and practice is for our minds to see Dhamma. When our minds see Dhamma, we will end suffering. We don't need to wonder what we are practicing for. We have eyes and ears, legs that are not broken. If we have opened our eyes, we will do what needs to be done without waiting for, for or depending on the blind ones. We are able to speak. We are not mute. When we see, we can speak before them. We wake up first and we get going early in the morning, not waiting for the ones who still sleep. Why? Because this is the place of danger. It's a place of turmoil and confusion an imperfect realm full of faults. The Buddha taught that, if you know, you should just go and not wait for the benighted. If your legs can carry you, don't wait for the ones with broken legs. Why? Escape from the enemy little by little until you are free and clear. It means developing virtue and knowledge. Until the day you get free of evil, you make the causes of goodness little by little, and this becomes the cause that is dedicated to the aim of everyone getting free. Awaken yourself. Lotuses in the same pond don't grow at the same pace. While some are blooming, some are still in the water, and others are at the level of the water. You should do what you can according to your abilities. If you wait for the others, you might be eaten by fish and turtles. When fire is flaring up and threatening to burn down your house, you can't ignore it and take a rest. You have possessions, and you have to grab them and get out. Desire, anger, and delusion scorch us just like that. Death follows us always, every day without cease. At the very least, we should reduce our becoming and birth in the round of existence. In all our merit-making and other spiritual activities, we recite, may it be a cause for realizing Nibbana. What should we do to make the causes for Nibbana? Meditation is essential. You don't merely sit here and listen to the words. That doesn't become a cause. First you listen, then you have to contemplate the meaning. The things you are supposed to give up, give them up. This guy hasn't got it yet. That one, I'm not sure about the way she practices. Don't entertain such thoughts. Don't push it off on someone else. If a tiger is chasing you, you don't wait for the other person to run. <laughs> How will you escape the tiger like this? This is a danger to you. Nibbana is not a place to stay or to go. Or put another way, it's not going and not stopping. It doesn't have advancing, retreating, or stopping. Understand that. When you enter and see, the fruit will come on its own. See the Dhamma, earn your profit, and then even if you haven't got to the end of the path, there will be no more doubting. 
This is appropriate for those of us who come to study the Dhamma. Outside of the Dhamma of our teacher, there's nothing that can bring us to live in harmony together, to go beyond suffering and unsatisfactory experience, and to realize happiness and tranquility. Dhamma is far superior to anything you can find in the home. The things we have at home generally only bring, tr only bring trouble. It's not like they're going to cause peace. In the realm of family and possessions, there are only things for worry, concern, and struggle, things that stab us. Dhamma has more value than that. But if we live among these things, we must have Dhamma. We can't do without it. If there is no Dhamma to match these things, they are not complete. Don't be careless. If we really understand and contemplate Dhamma, we will see value in it. The things at home will still be there, but if we see Dhamma, we will stop carrying them. Then there is still the busyness and involvement, but we know what it is, what it is all about, and won't make it won't take it for something real. Like dealing with a child who says, Mom, this happened. Dad, I need that. Hey, look at me. The parents say, Yes, sure, okay, but don't take it too seriously. You answer to make the child feel happy and secure, but your mind is not caught up in the story because you don't think in that way. So you can remain with your family and worldly responsibilities, doing what you have to do, but you aren't following the stream of worldliness. You are acting for peace and detachment, not for slavery and involvement. This is called the accomplishment and enjoyment of wealth. Even though you have wealth and possessions, you know them for what they are, know how to use them and live above them. If you can practice like this, you will come to know that Dhamma really does have value, but it's necessary to understand, to contemplate, and practice. If you think things are real, there is suffering and there is fear. You are afraid of the different ways things may turn out. Everywhere you look, there is fear. Actually, you just fear yourself. There is thinking, then fear follows immediately. It deceives you, creating a picture to mislead you. For people who are so fearful, whether they go into a house or a forest, there will immediately be ghosts haunting them. Even when they hear mice running around, they are frightened and think it's the sound of ghosts. Immediately they are afraid, but it's only the consciousness making a picture to deceive. Or maybe you have some problem at home. Just thinking about it makes you want to cry. People criticize each other. This one doesn't care about me. That one makes trouble for me. The mind runs away like that. Actually, no one is doing anything but you, making the pictures. If you make the pictures, you'll get lost and eventually end up crying. If you get very happy, you are making a picture. It gets to the point of laughing or crying, but still it's just you doing it. This is good. This is really good. You're just forgetting yourself, lost in your joy and laughter. The mind picks up one thing and you feel fear. Something else you may feel is repulsive, so you hate it. Then you love another thing. You become obsessed until you act are actually insane, and there is no end to your tears flowing. There is no end to it when you react like this, making pictures. All this is just carrying on. All this is just the carrying on of people. As to what is actually happening, there is nothing. There is nothing to cry or laugh over. Nothing worthy of love or hate in itself. It's only your mind being tricked. So the Buddha said to work on your mind here. Correct your mind at this point. The Dhamma is genuine, it is certain, it is the truth, but we are not true. We laugh and we cry, we love and hate reacting to things. Things are said to be good and bad, and off we go in pursuit. 
because we believe that we exist as self-entities and that things belong to us. This is just being deluded. So you should not take anything, the body in good or bad health, the mind in elation or depression, as being too real. You only destroy yourself by doing that. The Buddha said that when happiness comes, don't believe it too much. It is not something to cry or laugh over. It isn't something out there. It is here within us where things are happening, results being born from causes. There is really nothing, only you are grasping, that makes things appear like this. Not seeing Dhamma, we are always trying to make real these things that are not real. But when we talk about things not being real, some will say there's nothing we can do. It doesn't mean being totally passive and defeated. Without going to extremes and believing too much in things as real, you take care of things as is appropriate. While objects are not yet broken, while the body is not yet sick, take care of them so you can make good use of them. When things break, you let go without tears. Don't end up crying over these internal and external phenomena for no purpose. We have the habit of seeing body and mind as self. We call them us and ours. But when we are involved in such grasping, we are outside of the Dhamma, and the only result is that we suffer. You should understand that all the things we practice are for leading the mind to see Dhamma and to be Dhamma. If you see Dhamma, then although you have had the habit of anger, even if it returns, it will come with decreasing energy. The same is true of desires, and this is because of the understanding and sensitivity born in the mind from correct practice and understanding. It will change you for the better. You don't need to change or improve on the Dhamma. Don't try to resolve things that are done already. Resolve the things that are not yet accomplished facts. If you are trying, if you are trying to plane a piece of wood that is full of knots and hard like a rock, you should know when to give up. Or will you just sit there and cry over it? And if another piece is already smooth and varnished, you don't need to plane it further. Instead of trying to adjust the Dhamma to fit you, adjust yourself to fit the Dhamma. Dhamma is truth. If you reach the truth, there's no big or small, no happiness or suffering. There is peace. Even if there is thinking, the mind must be peaceful. If you experience phenomenon, they will be just right, with nothing to try to increase or decrease. The characteristics of the mind will be such that when the mind meets objects and conditions, it has this truth. It's like having only one chair in a room. You sit there, and when others come, they have nowhere to sit. Mind is like this. The mental afflictions may come, but because Dhamma is in the mind, they will have nowhere to sit down, so they will have to go on their way. If you have mindful awareness of yourself, then when sense contact and mental activity gives rise to the habits of desire, anger, and delusion, there's no place for them to stay in the mind. There is one seat, and you are occupying it already, so the habits cannot sit. They will leave the room. They can't move you from Dhamma. The path and the afflictions fight it out in the mind. If there's no one sitting there, the afflictions can sit down and become the owners. This means you don't have presence of mind. You don't understand Dhamma, so delusion could take the seat. Then there's no end to suffering. The path and defilements fight each other in this way. If the path is, to, is brought to fullness, then when things happen in the mind, we meet the Dhamma. This takes a person with energy. One who is not energetic will, will retreat at this point. The factors involved here are simply mind and its internal and external objects. If the mind is not fooled by these objects, what is the problem? 
objects are objects, mind is mind. This is listening to Dhamma to make it reach the mind. When that happens and the Dhamma enters the mind, there is no problem. The path kills the afflictions with this meditation practice. If there's no one home, unwanted guests can come and make themselves comfortable. They sit down and eat and make a mess. Is that the result you want? Because you don't understand Dhamma, you don't know right and wrong, good and bad, and don't recognize the way the mind contacts objects and reacts. They push you all over the place. If things appear to be good, you will smile and laugh. If they're bad, they make you upset and you may come to tears. It is the same as the house with its owner absent. Spinning around like that, unable to separate things, this is a Dhamma practitioner who doesn't really know Dhamma. It is someone who's operating at a loss. So you have to meditate to get the Dhamma to enter your mind. This is why we listen to the Dhamma on every Lunar Observance Day and other holidays. So in all activities and postures, learn to do this. When sense objects come, get a handle on them by remembering that they are one thing and the mind is another. Separate them out. Otherwise, you don't know them. You follow what you perceive as good and bad, and this brings suffering. Not satisfied with them, you suffer. The mind is deluded by objects. The mind lacks discernment. So set up mindful recollection and awareness of yourself. We say that in all postures, you should keep the meditation on Bhutho in mind. Bhutho means the one who knows, is arising continuously. When objects come, you know them. You can resolve things and expound the truth. This is the fruit of Bhutho. Let there be one who knows. Practice Bhutho just for this. This is called hearing Dhamma and realizing fruition, knowing Dhamma and practicing it. You should be practicing and seeing it so you so you become it in your mind. This is called one who understands and sees. This is the way the Buddha's teachings bear fruit. Any questions or comments? Quite, uh, quite like that particular exposition of uh, Lumpur Cha. Sometimes the illustrations are necessary because uh, that's very common, I think, for Westerners. I know for myself that judgmental, critical mind of how other people are practicing and. It's like if a, if a tiger's chasing you, are you going to tell the other person to run? It <laughs> just makes it, it's such a wonderful illustration. I also forgot, forgot about that, the illustration of the person who goes to stay in a hotel and thinks, <laughs> thinks it's theirs after a while. It's just, it's, it just, it's so sort of ordinary, and, and, but it's just it's so apt. <clears throat> We take what, what isn't ours to be ours. Or even you could say staying in the monastery at first, at first we're kind of like graying jai, like uh, not wanting yeah. to do anything wrong, and then we're here for a year, two years. It's like So in the chanting book, there is a, a line somewhere that says that there is no something in the created or the uncreated. There is no, no self, self in the created or the uncreated. Right. <laughs> but the, the Pali line says only Dhamma. So always like you know, uh, curious about that, like why somebody chose to say <coughs> created or uncreated when it only says dhamma on the Pali one side. Briefly, that yeah, all dhammas sabe dhamma anatta sabe sankara anicca sabe dhamma anatta. Sankaras are all conditions, but dhamma includes the conditioned and the unconditioned. So all conditions are impermanent. All dhammas are not self. So both the conditioned and the unconditioned being not self, so that's that was the chosen translation for that. Ajahn Amaro? Um, he was certainly in on the 
the ref kind of the refurbishment of the uh, of the chanting book. There were there was a few people that were involved in it. <coughs> so, same translation that's been there. It's been there for a long time. Yeah, oh, okay. So there is no cell. Oh, okay. yeah, that's that's changed in a long time. Mm -hmm. About there is no cell, which I think you know is a, is a, there is a perception of self and a perception of not self. So I've always preferred you know like a translation of uh, all dhammas or uh, all everything is not self rather than there is no self. <clears throat> it just seems to be a bit stark or a little bit too um, doctrin doctrinal. In my mind, anyway. <clears throat> in um, a talk by Ajahn Amaro, he mentioned that line that he had originally translated that, and then when they were changing it, he wanted to change the translation from his original translation, and he got vetoed. For the um, for the first text that you were reading from, I think the Diga Nikaya, with long lists like that, is there any suggestion of how to make that into a practice? Like even just taking one of the ones or one of the twos? Just, yeah, your thoughts on that. I just tend to read those as a framework. Uh, sometimes there will be one that jumps out at me and I'll want to contemplate it. It's like doing the 32 parts of the body. For most people, one of the parts will jump out at them more than the others and then they can take that as their meditation. So, uh, but having the, some sometimes having those long lists, it's not the easiest one to read because it keeps referring to the previous sutta. So I should have, it be, would have been better if I would have just been able to write out and not have to flip back and forth to the previous sutta, which is also a long sutta of, of many, many lists. But uh, it's, when you're with the oral tradition, it's the, it's like an index. So you're, those are things to jog your memory. So when you're doing these recitations of long lists, then you could take any one of them and remember what are the teachings of that, connected with that list. So it's a way to think that's how they memorized them and brought them to mind in the past. So uh, has is there any of the senior monks, any uh, advantage you see to memorizing a lot of chants or having a lot of maybe suttas in the mind? Is there any uh, you know, advantage you see to that? <laughs> Everybody's looking at me. Um, yeah, there's a lot of advantages, <clears throat> you know, in the sense of, you know, once you've got them committed to 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 memory, then you can bring them up in, bring them to mind, and because uh, the reality is, is we're we're always finding different obstacles, uh, so that finding different tools or methods. Uh, to that, that seem to resonate or seem to sort of be relevant uh, for the occasion, then you've got more more tools available to you. Uh, so that's that's one of the the great advantages of 
of uh, you know having a knowledge of these various lists of teachings and lists of of dhammas and lists of different practices is that you've got you've got more things available to you to to uh, as a as a strategy for your for your practice if you've only got you know one thing that you keep bashing away at uh, you're going to get tired and and uh, and frustrated in in practice so it's it's like expanding one's 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 repertoire of 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 skills <clears throat> yeah thought comes to mind is that with that as well as uh the uh i found when i memorize things uh it's it really internalizes the teaching itself much much better as well and and uh and we're kind of memorizing like other people's faults and stuff, long lists of <laughs> their faults. So we might as well memorize lists of Dhamma instead, yeah. take its place. Memorizing the uh, objects of our desire, <laughs> vivid clarity, <laughs> but not able to memorize lists of Dhammas. Just like Ajahn Jemnian, when he was here, he's saying, well, people can party all night, but they can't stay up meditating <laughs> all night. <laughs> Sometimes there's lists that might pique the interest more than other lists, and then you can say, oh, I want to memorize that particular list, because then to follow that interest of the mind, not just necessarily bash away something we're not interested in, but find some, like for me, like the five faculties, like that's a really helpful list. Okay, it's just past nine, so uh, for morning practice period until until ten thirty.